Here is another powerful message from New Vision Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. To hear the rest of this series and others, join us at newvisionlife.com. Now, if you, if you know me or know anything about me, this is by far, unquestionably, the most exciting time of the year for me. I'm a Christmas guy. I love it. I just cannot get enough of it. So as we move into Christmas, it doesn't get any better than this. I, I tell people it's a busy time because it's the boss's birthday, right? When you're in ministry, this is the boss's birthday month. It's not just a day. It's a whole month we celebrate his birthday. So we're, we're excited about it. Now, you know, as we, we think about it, one of the things that Amy does, she has several nativities around the house that she sets up. And so we had our, our grandkids over on Friday night. And uh, my, my oldest grandson, he's two, and so he's uh, around the nativity there. And I'm thinking, this is a great teaching moment here. So she has a little rubber figures there the, for the nativity, kind of set out on a little table just for him. So I'm explaining everything to him. And he just kind of walks away like, yeah, not interested. And so he, he leaves. And I thought, that, that didn't really go the way I kind of thought it would. But I'm used to that with you guys. I mean, a lot of times I have big expectations. And da, 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 da. Anyway. And so I came back in a few minutes later, and some of the key players in the nativity were gone. Uh, they weren't there, and they had been replaced by some, some new characters. We had some PJ Masks guys. I don't know if you have little ones. They had some, some of his action figures. He just moved them in, and uh, they were at the manger scene, you know, Mary and Joseph, and we had some other cast of characters there. Paul Patrol had a few guys there. <coughs> Excuse me. It's kind of funny, but if we're not careful, we sort of do that. We sort of clutter Christmas up, don't we? And so for the next several weeks, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to say, what is, what is simply Christmas? If you have to really have to just boil it down to just the, the core of what Christmas is, what is simply Christmas? And so today we're going to talk about a piece of that. We believe that simply Christmas is recapturing belief. Because Christmas, Christmas is a supernatural story. In many ways, it's inconceivable. That the God of the universe would come to planet Earth in the person of a baby, and, th- and that baby would be, would, would be born through a virgin, he'd be placed in a, in a feeding trough, and people would gather around and worship him, and, and for the next 2,000 years, it would be the centerpiece of our, of our culture. In some ways, it's, it's inconceivable. But yet what we're going to see as we continue to study the Word as we go through these, these next few weeks, the inconceivable, meaning hard to get your mind around, is going to come face to face with the undeniable. And my hope is that your belief will be recaptured or rekindled. Does some of you remember what it was like when you first came to faith in Christ and you just prayed about everything and anything? Do you remember what that was like, some of you? If there was a problem, you didn't just immediately stress out and go into panic mode and and get on the phone and and try to work it out or figure it out. You just knew that there wasn't a single thing that you were going to face in your life that was impossible for your God. That that was like that that beginning, that childlike faith. And so as we come to Christmas again this year, what would it be like if, if our faith, our belief was rekindled or recaptured? And what's that going to take? If you have your Bible, let's go ahead and open them up. We're going we're gonna to be studying Luke's gospel uh, for the next several weeks. And, and the Bible says that faith or belief comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God. 
And so what, what we're going to do today is we talk about how is it that we recapture belief? How, how can that really happen in my life again? Because I've gotten a little jaded. I, I don't know about you if, if sort of the luster has gone off and, and, and it's kind of cloudy. I mean, your, your belief, it's, it's not that it isn't there, but it's just faded through circumstance and situations in your life. What would, it, what would it be like? What would it take to recapture that belief? Well, today we're going to look at three questions. And these are three questions to really recapture belief, and we're going to see them all from Luke chapter 1 as we study God's Word. But before we read Luke chapter 1, I want to tell you a little bit about Luke because I think this is super interesting. We're going to begin with Luke's Christmas story, but let's talk about the person. Who was he? We're going to learn that Luke wasn't a part of the inner circle. He wasn't a part of those disciples that Jesus called when he was putting his team together in the 12 apostles. Luke Luke wasn't one of those guys. Luke was, in many ways, Luke was an outsider. Luke was a Gentile. Luke didn't see any of these stories. He wasn't an eyewitness to any of these stories. You see, the first four books in the New Testament, the Gospels, they just tell the Jesus story. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But Luke's a little bit different. You see, Luke was a physician by trade. And so he was a person who was given to the, the scientific method, if you will. Luke just didn't want to take something at fa- face value. Luke wants to investigate. He wants to really see if all these claims are true. So Luke asked a lot of questions. Luke's a historian. Luke didn't see it, so Luke's going to interview people who did see it, and he's going to tell his story through the lens of all those folks that, that were there, you see? And as we read Luke's account, I believe the inconceivable could collide with the undeniable and your faith could come alive in ways that it never has before. So let's begin. First of all, here's the first question. What's the cause of your doubt? And you say, what do you mean my doubt? Well, here's my point. I believe most of us, if we're really honest with ourselves, that throughout the course of the year, some other characters have kind of entered into the manger and we've got some other things that are kind of more important and our doubt is just, and our faith has just gotten a little cloudy. It wasn't like it was early on. Well, we have to ask this question, what is causing this doubt? Some of you, and I hope you'll listen to this, some of you, not all of you, but some of you, your doubt is coming from some intellectual questions that you have. Because for some of you, you're college students here, and you've sat in class, and and professors have said things that really attack the truth claims of the Bible, and so that's been confusing for you. And so you've wrestled with that. I mean, is what, what I've learned from Scripture all my life, is it true or is it just a fairy tale? Is, is there something else? And so this, this sort of other side, this other opinion people have has really attacked your belief. And so you have some intellectual questions. And so let's begin and see what the Scripture has to say. In Luke chapter 1, verse 1, Luke says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of things that have been accomplished among us, meaning there's other people who have written the the Jesus story. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Mark. He's talking about Matthew. He's He's talking about John. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word and have delivered them to you or to us. In other words, he said, these guys were guys who were there. They were guys who were handpicked by Jesus. They were guys who saw all the miracles, listened to all the teaching. He said, they were ministers. He said, I I wasn't one of those guys. I wasn't an an eyewitness to that. So he has a different perspective. 
And then in verse 3, he says, it seemed good to me also. In other words, it makes sense having followed all these things closely for some time past. In other words, investigating all these things. Luke didn't just take what was said about Jesus at face value. Luke investigated that. I mean, he's a physician. He's a scientist. He's a historian. And so, I mean, this isn't a guy who's just weak-minded. This is a brilliant man. He said, I've investigated this for some time. And he said, and the reason to do that, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. That's interesting. In other words, Luke had a friend. Luke's friend's name was Theophilus. Luke's friend, perhaps Theophilus, had some questions because questions aren't bad. Doubt isn't bad. Doubt can really, if we deal with doubt the right way, if we expose doubt to truth, it can cause us to really go forward in our faith. And so Luke has a friend, Theophilus, so he writes this story of Jesus for this man and his questions, but we get to read it as well. And then verse 4, listen to what he says, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Now, that's a very interesting statement. You see, because most of us, maybe we've been taught that really to be a believer, to believe in the story of Jesus, it's just this sort of blind belief in the dark and and that faith need not have any evidence to really be there. And, And Luke says, that's not true. He said, I've put all these things together so you can know with certainty the things that you have been been taught. And so here we go. What do we see right from the beginning? Because some of what's happened for some of you here today, not every, everybody, but there's some doubt that has crept in, some intellectual questions that have sort of stopped you in your tracks. And here's what Luke is saying about Christmas. Luke is saying Christmas is a real story from real places in a real time in history with real eyewitness evidence. As we read this story, Luke's going to really show that the the story of Jesus checks all the boxes. Now, if you're a skeptic, I've said this in all the services, and we mean this here. If you're a skeptic, if you're a doubter, we're glad you're here. We're certainly glad you're here. One of the reasons why I believe the claims of Jesus Christ, one of the reasons is because of all of the prophecies, all the Old Testament prophecies, hundreds of them that were given a thousand years before Jesus was born, very specific prophecies. And Luke is going to show that the birth story of Jesus, it checks all the, the boxes. Right, Jesus' ancestry was prophesied. He'd born, be born through the line of David. Joseph uh, was through the family line of David. Check. The location, Jesus would be born. The prophet Micah tells us in the city of Bethlehem. You know, Mary and Joseph, they, they weren't living in Bethlehem. They only planned to be there one night just so they could register. But Jesus was born there. Check. Just like the scripture says, virgin birth, check. There would be a forerunner before Messiah comes that would be like the prophet Elijah. We're going to see that today. Check. So all this is... is It checks out. It's historically accurate. Here's what Luke is saying. Watch this, and we'll move on. Simply Christmas belief occurs when the inexplicable, and are there real questions? Is this an amazing, unbelievable, supernatural story? Yes. And parts of it are are seemingly inexplicable sometimes. You can't get your mind around it, but if you stay with it long enough and study the Scripture, it becomes undeniable to you. Well, the second thing I would say about, about doubt is some of you have doubts, and it's not intellectual. It's not because you've read some article, been on some podcast, or some professor had you read some book. It's not intellectual questions. Probably the most common doubts are from disappointments in life because things haven't worked out the way you thought they would work out. 
You see, there are circumstances and situations that have happened in your life, and they've, they've made you think, you know what, God, if you're a loving God, and if you're a powerful God, how come I'm going through this circumstance and situation in my life? Why am I experiencing this? So we have doubts due to disappointments in life. Now, let's look at verse 5 as we read on. Here's what Luke says. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Now, you might say, listen, I, I hate it when the Bible does that. Like, I hate it when the Bible tells me all these details about these, these people and, and where they came from and what line they were in. Why does, it, why does it do that? Because here's what Luke is doing. He's saying, this isn't a fairy tale. It's not in a land far, far away. There was a prince, and there was a princess. He, he's telling you, these are real people, and if you don't believe it, do exactly what I did. Check it out right? It's verifiable, you see? And so he introduces us to the first couple. And the first couple in, in Luke's birth narrative, it doesn't start with Mary and Joseph. It, it starts with Zechariah and Elizabeth. And it says in verse 6, this is so important. Listen, listen, this is so important. He says, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Now, can I just stop there? Would you wish that was said about you? That would be amazing to be said about me, that this is a righteous guy, and he walks blamely before God in all of his ways. I mean, that's, pretty, that's a pretty good spiritual resume, right? Now, here's what, it doesn't mean that Zachariah and Elizabeth were perfect, right? Do we understand that? They weren't perfect. Had they committed sin in their life? Sure. But here's what Luke wants you to know. There was no known sin. They weren't deliberately disobeying God in any area of their life. And there would have been no reason that you could look at and say, hey, because of this sin in your life, this is why something has happened. These, these are people who really walked the talk, right? You see that? That makes sense. I say that right. It's my fourth time to see this. So I, 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 it runs together for me. But watch this verse 7. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. So infertility, that's a disappointment. Throughout the years as a pastor, I can't tell you how many couples I've, I've sat with that were struggling with infertility and the expectation is, God, why haven't you provided for us a child? And, and so they've been disappointed. They've been hurt. And so infertility in the current culture that we live in can be a very big disappointment, something that we go through. In a first century culture, I'm not so sure if it might not have been even worse, and you say, well, how can it be worse? Well, for, for a number of reasons. One reason, if you didn't have children in a first century culture, there was no social safety net. There was going to be nobody to take care of you when you got older. And so not having children meant you were on your own. I'm thinking about this a whole lot as I get older. I'm nicer to my boys than I've ever been. My daughter-in-law, I'm being super nice to her. And, and uh, we've got a girlfriend-in-law in our house. I'm nice, right? Because I know. But so, because nobody to take, to take care. Also, here's what it really meant. Many people thought, you know what, because you don't have any children, that's God punishing you. If you were really right with God, you wouldn't be going through this right now. So people talked about Zechariah and Elizabeth, and they came into a gathering like this. Even though Zechariah was a priest and Elizabeth was a godly woman, everybody said, yeah, I wonder what's really going on. I wonder what's the other side of the story. So there was all of this that was, was there. So this is a huge disappointment in their life. Now, look at this. Doubt in the present. When we have present doubt in our life, many times it's a result of past disappointments. It's because, God, you didn't come through in this area. In my career, in my relationships, or with my health. And so that, that breeds this disappointment, and, and our faith in God begins to wane. 
Doubt really says this, watch this. Doubt really says, my bitter past, the pain from my past, this rebellious child that hasn't turned the corner, whatever it is. Doubt says my bitter past really trumps the promise and the power of a sovereign God, right? Because of what I've been through, what's happened to me, I really believe it trumps your power. I don't know that you can do anything with my circumstance and situation. And that's kind of where Zachariah and Elizabeth were. Listen, hey, my wife's 75, I'm 80, we're done. I mean, there is no hope for us. God, you can't do anything with my current circumstance and situation. That's what doubt does. Now listen, here's what the story of Christmas does. Simply Christmas says no past disappointment can trump God's future for you. In fact, it probably can fuel it if you'll watch. Now let, let's, let's see this. All right, let's read on. Verse 8, let's move on. Here's the second question that I think we should ask. If our faith or our belief is just waning, what is the cause of my doubt? Is it intellectual or is it circumstantial? Number two, what is the cost of my doubt? Right, what is my doubt costing me? Let, let, let's start reading in verse 8. Here we go. Now, while he was serving at priest, he meaning who? Zechariah. He was serving as a priest before God when his division was on duty. Verse 9, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. Those of you in the balcony, you with me still? There's a lot in, in verse 8 and 9. I never heard anything from you guys. I'm just going to assume that you're still there, right? So here's Zechariah. What is Zechariah doing? There are 24 divisions of priests in the nation of Israel during this time. And so it was time for Zechariah's division to go to headquarters, to go to Jerusalem, to leave the hill country of Galilee and go and spend two weeks in Jerusalem. And while they were there, they just ministered around the, the, the temple in Jerusalem. And the, the greatest honor, like the greatest honor while they were there was for one of them to be chosen to go in to the Holy of Holies and burn incense before their God. And so because everybody wanted to do that, they just cast lots. They rolled the dice. And if your number came up, you were chosen. And I just wonder if Zachariah, because he'd been disappointed a lot in his life, if Zachariah wasn't like one of those guys that your dirty Santa kind of deal is like, you know what, every year somebody steals a good gift away from me. I never go home with a good gift. You have people like that in your family, right? Every year when you start to play, boy, I remember last year, I had that really good thing. Then Uncle Larry took it from me. It happens every year. So you're just kind of beaten down with disappointments from past. Maybe Zachariah says, you go ahead and roll the dice, but I know I'm not going in. And Zachariah's numbers called. He's going in. This is God's hand. This is how Luke begins his Christmas story. And the whole multitude, verse 10, and the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Now, I just want to stop you and I want to show you something that uh, is fascinating to me. Again, was Luke there? No, Luke is interviewing people who were there. And Luke tells us, like sometimes you, that, that, that the angel was standing on the right hand of the altar of incense. Or you're like, you know, that's like, I don't really need to know that, Luke, but thank you. Why is he doing that? He's just showing you his attention to detail. He's saying, this isn't a fairy tale, right? Fairy tales don't have specifics. This is really, this is really what happened. So Zachariah's there. The angel Gabriel appears to him at the right hand of the altar of incense. And Zachariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. I mean, that's like a an understatement in scripture. Here is Zechariah. He's in the Holy of Holies and the angel Gabriel appears and Zechariah is just so overwhelmed he almost, he almost dies. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. Now let's just stop. The first thing that the angel Gabriel says is, don't die, Zechariah. Like, 
You're 80, and there's just a lot of plaque that got released from your arteries there. So just stay with me, buddy. Hang in here. Right? And if you're 80 here today, 80 was older in that day than 80 is today here. So just so you know that, this is, this is the, new, it's the new 80, right? I mean, it's different. Very, very different. Everybody still mad? You're moving on. Now, there's, a, there's this intense fascination about angels in our culture today. I, I was reading something the other day. It said 70% of Americans say they've had an encounter with an angel. That's fascinating. Now, I'm not denying that. I certainly think that could happen. But most everybody's account of them is like a, like a, a really cool, fun encounter with an angel, how an angel helped them find parking and, you know, or whatever. I'm not saying that couldn't happen. Don't hear me say that. I, it didn't happen for me yesterday at the Avenue. I'll just tell you that. What I am saying is in Scripture, when someone encounters an angel, they are just overwhelmed. They're like freaked out because of the power and the glory, right? And then the angel tells him what's going to happen. You're going to have a son. I mean, this is a lot, right? And God had been silent for 400 years up until this point to the nation of Israel. So there is a lot happening here. Verse 14, the angel continues, and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. So whoa, 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 whoa. Like, this is now bigger than just Zechariah and Elizabeth having a baby. Something else is going on. Verse 15, for he will, be, he, will, he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Zechariah's starting to piece some things together as a priest. He's starting to realize that something else is going on here, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Talking about John the Baptist and John the Baptist being this forerunner before the Messiah. This is exactly what John the Baptist did when he went and he preached in the wilderness. And you have all these people coming out and repenting of their sin. Verse 17, and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to children and the disobedience to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. In other words, Gabriel says, in case you don't understand what we're talking about, you're not having a son. You're having a prophet. And you're just not having any prophet. You're having a last of the prophets, the one who will make the way for Messiah. This is a big day, right? Now watch Zechariah's response, verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? This is doubt. This is doubt. And then watch, for I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Now, in the Greek, when, it, when, when Zachariah says he's an old man, he means he's an old man. When he says my wife is advanced in years, he means she is a really old woman, right? That's how it's read. I'm sorry. In fact, would you just do me a favor? If you get to heaven before me, if you see Elizabeth, be nice to her. Because every time in Scripture, she's, you know, we meet her and it talks about how old she is. So, like, you know, that's, I think it's unfair. But she's really old. So, so Zachariah's saying, I don't believe you. Because I'm old and she's really old and where were you 30 years ago when we were just crying out to you for a child and now you want to do this? I mean, she's not fertile myrtle any longer. I don't think this is happening. And the angel answered him. Watch this. This is so cool. I'm Gabriel. I mean, that's like two words like I'm Gabriel. This is like a Jason Bourne on steroids moment. This is who I am. He said, just a few moments ago, Zachariah, when you saw me, you went translucent. I mean, you were scared to death. You're shaking in your boots, and now you're wondering, how's this going to happen? I'm Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. 
Let's read on. And I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. Now, verse 20, this is intense. And behold, here's what Gabriel says, you'll be silent. God's going to discipline Zechariah because of his doubt. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. It's going to be nine months. Now, I want to say something to you here very, very clearly. Zechariah's discipline was he was not able to speak, but also he was not able to hear. And you say, well, I I don't believe that. I don't think the Bible teaches that. If you'll just look on down at verse 62 in chapter 1, when it comes time for Zechariah to communicate with the people and tell them what to name the child, instead of them asking a question to him, they make signs to him and write to him. You don't do that to somebody who can hear. So he's not able to speak and he's not able to hear. You're not able to speak until these things take place. Why? Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Zechariah let his past past disappointments breed doubt in his life, and it cost him a lot. What did it cost him? Let me ask you a question. What did Zechariah's doubt cost him? Well, first thing, he was a priest. He was a preacher. God hadn't spoken in 400 years, and God shows up in the temple and moves, and, and the angel Gabriel is there, and Zechariah can't tell anybody about it. I can't think of anything worse for a preacher to see God move in a powerful way and not be able to tell anybody about it, right? That'd kill me. If you told me you can't preach for nine months, I'm out. I'd combust, right? I couldn't do it. So he, he, he's not able to preach. He's not able to comfort his wife, Elizabeth. She's 75 years old, going through pregnancy for the first time. He's not able to comfort her. He's not able to hear her. He's not able to hear his son's first cries when John was delivered. Yesterday in this room, there were 80 inmates here, men and women, from 940 in the workhouse. Their families were here. Their children were here to have a Christmas party. It was an amazing event. There were five men here yesterday who, who yesterday was the first time they held their baby. Five men. Can you imagine? These are big dudes, man. They're tatted up. They're sitting at a table, and they're not eating their food because they're holding their baby. They're experiencing that because the incarceration has cost them that time of touch with their child. That's a high cost, isn't it? But this cost, Zachariah's doubts cost him a lot. Can I tell you something about doubts? Listen, and we see it directly from this story. Watch this. We're going to turn the corner and head for home. Your doubts won't stop the promises of God. Even though Zechariah doubted that God was able, God still brought this child in a supernatural way to Elizabeth. Your doubts won't stop the promises of God. They will only keep you from enjoying them. Do you see the difference? Your doubts won't stop the promises of God, but they will keep you from enjoying them. And I think, what is simply Christmas? What does it mean to you to believe again that nothing is impossible? Because here's the question, what are your doubts costing you right now? What are your doubts costing you? I think if we could be honest today in this room, just for the next few moments, that that all of us have doubts in our life. We believe there's some things that God cannot do. We believe that our past disappointments trump the power of God, and our doubts are costing us something. 
Now, if we push doubt a little bit further from just sort of an intellectual exercise, doubt can really be seen as, as, as disobedience. If I really doubt God is good and I doubt God is faithful, then I disobey him. I don't follow him. I don't trust him. You see, and many times we disobey God in areas that we don't understand. That's what, that was Zachariah's problem. Zachariah says, I don't understand how a 75-year-old woman can be pregnant. I don't think you can do that. But listen, can you please listen to what I'm about to say? When you study the scripture, when you listen to preaching and teaching, there are going to be things that God is going to call you to in your life that you just won't understand in that moment. They just won't make sense to you in that moment. And many times when something doesn't make sense to us in that moment, when God has a command for us that we don't like or that we can't fully understand or appreciate in that moment, we're prone to disobey. That's where Zechariah was, right? He doubted God and his doubts cost him. Now, here's the third and final question. If you want to recapture belief, what's the cause of your doubt? Is it intellectual? You've kind of believed that, you know what, Christianity is for people who are weak-minded. I think Luke would differ with you. I think if you go back to the manger scene, a year later, some of the wisest people on planet Earth showed up to worship Jesus as Messiah. They were astronomers, astrologers. They were the scientists from the East who made their way because they knew something was different in the universe. They knew what the prophecies had said, and the wisest people on planet Earth were there. Don't believe the lie that wise men don't seek Jesus. To be honest, it's just the opposite. The wisest of all times have been seekers in Jesus because for them, the inexplicable met the undeniable. It transformed everything. So what's the cause of my doubt? Well, it's disappointment. So you're believing that your past disappointment trumps God's future for your life. Christmas tells a different story. What's the cost of your doubt? And then finally, as we close, what's the cure for doubt? What's the cure for doubt? Let's, uh, let's pick up in verse 24 because I think what you're going to see here in the next few moments as we study Scripture, what you're going to see, the cure for doubt, is belief is recaptured. I mean, that real belief that believes that anything is possible, nothing is impossible for my God, the kind of belief that would lead you just to pray about everything, that kind of belief that would keep you from just being overwhelmed by circumstance and situations is when you begin to trust in the goodness of God. And you're going to see it in this story. You see, here's, here's a mistake that we have made, guys like me have made for years, and I want to apologize. We've asked people to surrender to something that they, first of all, hadn't fallen in love with. It just never works. It never works. I want to ask you to trust the goodness of God. Well, watch this. Watch this. Let's, let's go on down verse 24. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months... She kept herself hidden. Can you imagine how many times through her 75 years that Elizabeth thought, you know what, this might be it. I'm feeling a little bit nauseous. Maybe this is the moment only to be disappointed time and time again. And yet here as a 75-year-old woman, the nausea didn't go away. And it began to happen. The inexplicable, a 75-year-old woman being present, pregnant was now undeniable. She kept herself hidden for five months. You say, why did she keep herself hidden for five months? I don't know. I don't know. Verse 25, 
Thus the Lord, here's what she says. Listen to what she says. When she comes out, when she breaks her silence, thus the Lord has done for me in these days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. What she just said is an amazing statement. When, when Elizabeth finally, finally speaks, she says, here's what God has done for me. He has finally taken away my reproach among the people. What is she talking about? Watch this. All of her life, certainly all of her married life, everybody said this about Elizabeth. There must be something going on with her. I mean, obviously, Elizabeth's got something else going on because she's not able to have kids. God is punishing her because of this. So she has always experienced reproach from her people. But now, finally, God has taken her reproach away. I said this in the last service, and I, I don't know if it'll resonate with you. I hear a lot of stuff around Christmas that it, it just kind of bothers me. Sometimes guys like me are up preaching. It's almost like they're anti a lot of stuff around Christmas, like anti-gifts. I'm not anti-gifts. Can I be honest with you? I love gifts. I, have, I make sure my wife knows what I want. Anybody, you like them too, don't you? Don't look at me like you're, you know, like I'm unspiritual. You love them too. I like gifts. I know my wife's going to get me something, so I kind of, I, I, I lay the hints down. I've gotten her gifts. I've already bought her gifts. I'm excited about that. I had the Operation Blessed Child people wrap them while they were here, wrapping the gifts for the inmates' kids. I didn't do that. That was wrong. I thought about it. I certainly thought about it. I love that. That's fun. And, you know, and the prosperity gospel that everybody wants to rail against, everybody wants to rail against TV preachers and prosperity gospel preachers, they get it partially right. God wants to do good things in the life of his children. He wants to do good things in the life of his children. They get it partially right. Now, here's where I think they miss it. The good things that God wants to do is not a BMW in your, in your driveway. The good thing that he wants to do is far greater than that, and that's what Elizabeth is talking about. She says, finally, after 75 years, he has taken my reproach away. Listen, you can't buy that. You can't buy that. Let me tell you something about me. I have a past, and so do you. All of us in this room have reproach. In other words, we have guilt and we have shame, and what, what Elizabeth says is, finally, he has taken my shame away. You don't get that at Dillard's. You see me? Yeah, and that's what she's talking about. You see, I mean, she, she, wanted, she wanted a son, and she got a, she got a, a prophet. Zechariah, he wanted a caretaker, right? You see that? He's, he's getting old. He wanted a boy to take care of him, and that makes sense. I want to say something you may disagree with, and you can email me, and that's all right. I won't, I won't respond. I, I don't think he got that. Like, I don't think Zechariah got a caretaker with John the Baptist, and you say, well, how do you know that? Because Zechariah was 80 years old when this boy was born. When he was 10, Zechariah was 90. The average age in that day was in the 40s. I don't think Zechariah lived long enough for John to take care of his needs. He wanted a caretaker, but you know what he got? He got something greater. He got a savior. Now, here, here, here's the thing. Watch this. Watch this. Here's another thing that Hebrew men, why they wanted a son, they wanted descendants because they had land. Their land was their inheritance. It was given to them in the nation of Israel. God had given them a land, and they wanted someone to pass that land down from generation to generation in their mind. It was one of the ways that they would live forever. It's one of the ways that they would have a legacy. And so here's Zechariah, he's an 80-year-old man. He says, I don't have a legacy. I'm not going to live forever. And then here's what God does. 
He sends him a son, not just any son, forerunner of the Messiah. And Zechariah gets the big picture that salvation is coming. And now his sin debt is going to be fully met. And he's going to live forever. Because what had separated him from God has now been taken away. What's my point? It's way more. When you understand who he is and what God wants to do in your life, it is way more. It's certainly the case in this story. Now, last thing, and then we'll close. It says we have 10 seconds, but we're going to go fast. <laughs> belief, is, belief is recaptured when I trust the goodness of God. Can I ask you this question real quick and I'll let you go? Do you think God was good to Zachariah and Elizabeth? <laughs> that was a pretty easy question. I think exceedingly good. The Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Does he, does, does, he want to, does he want to do something amazing in your life? The answer to that is yes. And the greatest gift is his presence to remove your reproach. Last thing, belief is recaptured not only when we trust the goodness of God and want that more than anything else, and want that more than anything else. And so we, we really organize our life around it. But belief is recaptured when we obey the will of God in our life, the known will of God. Now watch this. Let's close with this. Verse 57. Here it is. It's time for the baby to be born. Nine months have passed. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they rejoiced with her. Verse 59, and on the eighth day, meaning eight days after he was born, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah because that's what you did. You just named the boy after his dad. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by that name. And Elizabeth saying this is, this is not like any of our relatives. This is way more. In verse 62, and they made a sign to the father. In other words, they're saying, Elizabeth's lost it here, John, surely. And he can't hear and he can't speak, so they're signing. Inquiring what he wanted the boy to be called. Verse 63, and he asked for a writing tablet. Here he is, 80-year-old dude, nine months. He's not able to hear, and he's not able to speak, and it's his time. Give this boy an Etch-a-Sketch. He's got something to say, right? <laughs> and he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote, his name is John. In your Bible, just write obedience. His name is John. And they all wondered. Look at verse 64. I want you to get this. I want you to get this so bad. And immediately, how soon? Immediately, his mouth, whose mouth? Zachariah's mouth was open and his tongue was loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all the neighbors. I, I, I love what Zachariah does. I mean, after nine months of not being able to speak and not being able to hear, you'd think, I mean, he's mad at somebody, right? Can you believe that? Crying out loud. No. Because God had met him there in that silence. And even in this time of discipline, not punishment, but in discipline, God was doing something so amazing in Zechariah's life. And you go ahead and read the rest of chapter 1 tonight. He just breaks out in song. He's so overwhelmed he can't do anything. So he just starts singing. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue was loose and he spoke blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all of these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. I, I want to just touch on this statement. I, I know it's time to go, but I don't want you to miss this. Do you see how Luke puts that in here? He said, all this was talked about through all the hill country of Judea. Why does Luke put that in there? 
Because he's going asking the questions, right? He's gathering evidence. I mean, people saw this. You want something that will blow you away? This is extra. This is extra. You know, you say, well, well how do you, why do you believe the Bible is, is true? Well, for a lot of reasons. One of, the, one of the reasons why I believe the Bible is true is because what's not written in the historical record. And you might say, that's the goofiest thing I've ever heard anybody say. But this is what Luke wants us to know. Luke investigates all these claims. Luke writes his gospel probably by 50 AD. It's in circulation. If what Luke was saying in his gospel was not true, there were tons of people who were alive or their parents were alive when all this happened. They would have refuted those claims. And the historical record would have been full of it, but it's not. It's fascinating, isn't it? And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts and said, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Can I ask you a question as we close this morning? In what area of my life has doubt led to disobedience? And what might this disobedience be costing me? I doubt it's worth it to wait till marriage. To have sex, I don't believe that. I doubt it's worth it, so I'll just do what I want to do. What is it costing you? I doubt it's worth it, you might say, to put God first in my finances so we withheld. What, that might, what might that be costing you? I doubt it's worth it to forgive my mother-in-law what she said four Christmases ago about me. I'll take that to my grave. Well, you'll probably get there earlier because that's what unforgiveness does. I doubt it's worth it to serve doubt it's worth it to really give of my time the most valuable commodity I have to serve in the kingdom as the scripture calls me to what might that doubt be costing you I doubt it's worth it to follow Christ in baptism even though he did that as an example to me and he's called me to do that I, I doubt it's worth it what might that doubt slash disobedience be costing you you see finally Zachariah gets it he obeys and immediately Immediately, his mouth is loosed. What's waiting on the other side of your obedience? Can I tell you something? It's way better than what you're experiencing right now. I promise you that. I promise you that. Let's close with this. You can go ahead and bow your heads. What's the cause of doubt this year? I wonder if the inconceivable might begin to meet the undeniable and your belief explodes. What is the cost of your doubt? With your eyes closed and perhaps your head bowed, just you before the Lord. Zachariah's doubt cost him some things. But it pales in comparison to what the doubt of an unbeliever will cost them. If you're here today, and have never surrendered to Christ as Savior and Lord, you've always seen this story as a fairy tale instead of the tale of your rescue. Listen to the cost of that. That unbelief will cost you an eternity. Can I say that again? That unbelief will cost you an eternity separated from God. What is the cure? Trust Him today. 
Trust in his goodness and he'll save you. Trust in his goodness, he'll take your reproach away. Trust in his goodness and he'll come to indwell you. Obey the next right thing in front of you. For some of you as believers, there's an area of disobedience that's costing you dearly. Would you repent of it today? Father, thank you for this moment in time. Thank you for your word. Thank you that Luke's Christmas story doesn't start with Mary and Joseph, but with Zechariah and Elizabeth and how it sets the table. And Father, now in this moment that you've given us, I pray that for someone here, all of their life, the inexplicable story of Christmas has just become undeniable because of what you're doing in their heart right now, and they would trust you. We pray believing that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we'd like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. We meet at 820, 940, and 11 a.m. If you would like more information or would like to watch or listen to more of our services, please visit us online at newvisionlive.com. This broadcast is brought to you by New Vision Baptist Church, where our mission is guiding people to lives of gospel transformation.